Good morning. Good to have you with us. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 1. We are embarking on a new teaching series that will take us all the way into our new place over there off of I-17. So uh, as, as I've told you, that we do have 150 of these chapters here to, to get through before we actually make it over there. I'm kidding. We're only going to pick and choose a few here. It's not going to take us that long. We won't get through the whole book, obviously. But this is the study that will take us over there. I'm excited about this new teaching series, Soul Rx, Soul Prescription, Psalm 1. We're going to talk about happiness this morning. Let me uh, give you a couple of opening statements to kind of set up the, the study as a whole, generally speaking, just a few statements here to kind of give you summary statements of the book of Psalms, and then we'll talk specifically about Psalm 1. First of all, most of us live life on its surface, and never reach our center until we've faced and felt a longing that nothing in this world satisfies. And the book of Psalms will push and pull us emotionally so that God's liberating truth can be applied specific to where our hearts are most restless. Now here's the, that's part of the summary of the book of Psalms, but let me give you just one sentence that kind of summarizes the book of Psalms. There's no greater prescription for what ails our soul than deep communion with God. That's what the book of Psalms is all about. It's going to teach us how to have deep communion with God, maybe unlike you've ever experienced before. Now, let me talk to you specifically about the psalm we're going to look at this morning. This is kind of the gateway into the book of Psalms. It's going to teach us how we are to pray. Psalms meaning these are prayers, and it's going to teach us how to pray and how to connect with God at a much deeper level. And, and here's how I would, I would summarize what I'm about to say here in the Psalm 1 is that, and I'm convinced of this, Christians are the happiest people in the world when they live in the reality of what they have through Christ's sacrificial love. I'm convinced of that. Let me ask you this question. Are you fundamentally and consistently known as a happy person in the Lord? If you're a Christian, would people say that about you? Are you fundamentally and consistently known as a happy person in the Lord? If not, I mean, and... and That's asking the people that are closest to you. In fact, listen to this. I'm going to give you a number of C.S. Lewis quotes this morning. Hang in there with me. But C.S. Lewis says, Surely what a man does when he is taken off his guard is the best evidence of what sort of man he is. So when you're taken off your guard, when you're taken out of your game, so to speak, when the mask comes off, who are you really? I'm convinced that the Christian life is the most amazing life you will ever live. I I am absolutely convinced of that. And I believe that Christians are the happiest people in the world when they live in the reality of what they have through Christ's sacrificial love. So if you're not, let's see what we can do to maybe remedy that. And let's see how we can narrow the gap a little bit. How can we narrow the gap between maybe our spirituality and our reality? How do we begin to experience that? If that's the case and you're a Christian and you're not experiencing that, let's see what we can do because the book of Psalms will certainly help us, particularly this Psalm 1. So would you bow your heads with me? Let's take a moment. Once again, let's go before the throne of grace and uh, receive mercy and find grace to help us to do exactly that. God, we are delighted to be here today on this hot summer morning. We want to encounter you. We want to know you. You are perfect in love, infinite in wisdom, unlimited in power, and we ask you, God, to help us to face and feel that longing that nothing in this world satisfies. And as we embark upon a study in the book of Psalms, push and pull us emotionally so that your life-liberating and soul-satisfying truths can be applied specific to where our hearts are most restless. 
Father God, even as St. Augustine said, our hearts are forever restless until we find our rest in you. So may we find our rest in you. Teach us how we can have deep communion with you so that that we can be more and more fundamentally and consistently satisfied and happy people in you for your glory. In Jesus' name, and everyone said... Amen. So let's take a look at this. Let's walk through this. You guys have your Bibles open? Uh, if not, you can follow along on the big screen. I'm going to walk through this devotionally. I'm just going to kind of explain some of this text. Wonderful uh, Psalm, Psalm 1, starting at verse 1. It says, and it starts off by saying, blessed is the man. Stop there for a minute. Look up here. You've got to get this. He's talking about, he's talking about the life that most people dream about, but very few actually live. This is an amazing life, blessed, total fulfillment, complete well-being. He's talking about salvation. He's talking about Christians. And of course, in the Old Testament, they looked ahead to the cross. We look back to the cross, but it's all because of Jesus. And he's talking about that kind of life. Blessed is the man. And then he goes and talks about who walks not. And he goes through this descriptive kind of this from bad to worse scenario of what happens in our lives if our lives are being more and more shaped by this world as opposed to being uh, shaped by God's word. And, And he says, so who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Stop there just for a minute. So you could almost put these words, and I've got got these words actually in my Bible here. So who walks in the counsel, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. So believing, it always starts with believing, and then it moves to stands in the way of sinners, behaving, and then sits in the seat of the scoffers. That's belonging. So there's this progression. Believing leads to behaving, which leads to, wow, I'm feeling pretty comfortable in this. It's belonging. That's what happens to our life. So he's saying, blessed is the man that is not being conformed in more and more into the, into the ways of this world. But notice the contrast here. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Now, oftentimes, we're going to talk about happiness here. And a lot of times people will say, well, where's self-denial in the whole happiness thing? It's right here. It's right here in the text. Do you notice the contrast? He says, the blessed person, the person that's living this life of total fulfillment, complete well-being in God, doesn't do these things. He, he denies himself these things so that he can have this, so that he can delight in the law of the Lord and on his law meditates day and night. Let me give you a couple quotes here. One, once again, C.S. Lewis he says, we, we are half-hearted creatures fooling with drink and sex and ambition. When infinite joy is offered us, we're too easily pleased. So, so when you hear self-denial, unless if you want to follow Jesus, you must deny yourself. This is what it means. It means you're saying no to playing in the mud puddle and yes to the Caribbean cruise. You're saying no to dumpster diving and saying yes to your favorite restaurant. What would that be? I always say Claim Jumper, but it's been a long time since I've been to Claim Jumper. P.F. Chang or someone was saying this morning Fleming's or, or whatever. But, see, but those are the contrast. Those are the contrast. When you begin to understand who God is, what he offers us, what we have in him, oh my goodness, game over. There's no choice. It's not so much a matter of renunciation as much as it is a matter of re-evaluation. He delights in the law of the Lord and he meditates on it day and night. Now, we've got to talk about that a little bit delights in the law and all the rules he finds great pleasure in that well you need to understand what he's saying here this this means he's saying that all of scripture to him is authoritative it's his highest authority and you can almost put it like this he's saying blessed is the man who loves having god tell him how to live his life that's what he's saying but it even goes much deeper than that because we know Based on John 5, 39 through 40, and Luke 24, 27, we know that this whole book is ultimately about who? It's 
It's about Jesus. It's pointing to Jesus. So in essence, he's saying, I delight in interacting and communing and having a relationship with God. And I love having him tell me how to live my life because that's a great way to live. That is really a great way to live. So he's, he's choosing. So the self-denial is saying, no, I don't want to be shaped. I don't want to be conformed into the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of my mind. I want to have this interaction with God that transforms me. And notice the benefits of this. He goes on and describes this. Oh, by the way, the word meditation, but he meditates on it. It's, 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 the word means uh, murmuring or musing or reflecting or thinking or relishing. So he just, it's, God's word is just bouncing around in his head and in his heart. But notice the benefits. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season. So you got three benefits that come from this. So he yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. By the way, the word prosper here is not how we often hear in American culture, American Christian uh, health and wealth culture, where God wants to make you wealthy and wants you to drive a big fancy car and all that. It's not talking about that. This is what he's saying here as it relates to being prosperous. He's saying that anything that you do will not be in vain. And in whatever happens to you will not be in vain. Because this is what it's saying. This is phenomenal when you really begin to understand that in light of the, the whole of Scripture. Is that your bad things, the bad things that come into your life. See, oftentimes people say, oh, prosper. I'll never have any bad things happen to me. No, that's not what it's saying. But what it is saying is that you will prosper, that in spite of the fact that bad things do happen to us because we live in a fallen world, God will make the bad things work for our good. And the truly good things can never be taken from us. And the best is yet to come. That's the idea of that. That's the prosperity that he's talking about here. So it's really rich. And then he goes on, and then he makes this contrast. He's going back and forth with his contrast, but he says, the wicked are not so. Now, we're going to have to define the wicked. We'll do that in just a moment. How, anybody reading a translation that uses the word uh, ungodly instead of wicked? Show of hands. Anybody out there? Okay. And so that, that language is used back and forth. So you can certainly be ungodly but not be wicked, but you can't be wicked and you're gonna, if you're wicked, you're going to be ungodly. So, so wicked is, just means vile or violent, but there's this broad spectrum of people that would fall into this category. So he's making this, this contrast between the righteous. We'll be, he'll be using that word a few times here as we work through the text. Righteous versus wicked or, or ungodly. Here's what it means to be ungodly. It means basically that the roots of your soul are not down in God as your life source. The roots of your soul are going into something else as your life source. That's what it means basically uh, to be wicked or to even be ungodly. So the wicked are not so. In fact, but, but are like chaff. Chaff. See if the person next to you knows what this chaff is. Real quick, do that. Ask them. You guys know what chaff is? Anybody know what uh, chaff is? Yeah, it's, it's on the outside of the wheat. It's this, uh, it's this uh, shell or the husk around the wheat. And in the winnowing process, when they would, uh, as they were winnowing wheat, did I say that correctly? I guess that's what they, they would do. They would throw it up in the air. Have you ever seen the ancient ways that they would do that to separate the husk of that from the wheat? And the wind would literally blow the husk away. They'd throw it up in the, in the wind. The wind would blow the husk away or the chaff would be blown away and the wheat kernels were heavier and they'd fall right down in a pile below them and then they would gather them up. That's the idea. Very interesting picture here. And he's saying, if you don't have God as the center of your life, if God is not the one that the roots, the, the roots of your soul are not down deep into, your life will be like, like chaff. But are like chaff the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in judgment. And we've got to stop there just for a minute. This is really good stuff. I mean, uh, when he's talking about judgment here, and we know this, that as believers in Jesus Christ, uh, Jesus' death paid for our sins 
so that we are forever free from the penalty of sin and can never fall back into condemnation. That's a little bit of the idea. It's kind of implied here that, uh, that our sins will never, ever, 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 infinity be held against us. And I know some of you have done some pretty wicked things and pretty messed up things, and so have I. And none of those sins will be ever held against us. In fact, my name... And I have a name and a place in heaven, and I will not have to give an account because Jesus did that for me. But if you don't have Jesus in your life, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. They don't have a place in heaven. There's no place. They don't have a name or a place in heaven. But then this is, look at this next phrase. Oh, this is sweet. This is really sweet. He says, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous. I need to talk about that just for a minute here. Once again, C.S. Lewis says, God has infinite attention to spare for each one of us. You are as much alone with God as if you were the only being he had ever created. Do you ever feel like that? I mean, I don't. I always oftentimes think that he's too distracted for me, but I have and you have his undivided attention. In fact, what this is saying here when it says, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, those, we'll, we'll define that throughout, but it's talking about putting your faith in Jesus, and that's for both Old Testament and New. What he's talking about here is that the Lord is intimately involved in the lives of those who put their faith in Christ. he's involved in your life. I know, I know. Man, it seems like he's not anywhere to be found. He's intimately involved in your life. He loves you. Whether you see him or not, he loves you. He has this perfect love for you. He has this infinite wisdom for you. He has this unlimited power for you. And so in his love, he wants what is best for you. In his wisdom, he knows what is best for you. And in his unlimited power, guess what? He's going to do it. So everything that comes into your life is father filtered. He is involved in your life. That's what it says. Those are sweet words. Because oftentimes I don't live my life like that. I live as if he's nowhere to be found. Where are you, God? How did this happen? Wow, this was out of control. This seemed pretty random. But he's saying right here, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous. And then he ends it by saying, but the way of the wicked will perish. That's not for us. We won't perish. We've entered into fullness of life. And the best is yet to come. This is God's word to us. Okay, so four statements that we're going to look at. This is the philosophy of Christian happiness. And uh, this is somewhat of a paraphrase from uh, Desiring God, uh, John Piper's book, these four statements, and it could also, we could refer to this as a, actually Christian hedonism. Now, you guys know what hedonism is. Hedonism is where pleasure is your God. Christian hedonism is God is your pleasure. That's what this Psalm 1 is all about, where God becomes our pleasure. We delight in him, in the law of the Lord, in interacting with him and knowing him, experiencing him. Therefore, we meditate, we reflect, we encounter him, we walk with him. And so let me give you four statements here, philosophy of Christian happiness. Number one, wanting to be happy is a universal human desire. Would you guys agree with that? Everybody wants to be happy. Oftentimes that you hear people say, I just, you know, what do you want for your kids? I just want them to be happy. Now the problem is, is what we, where we get our happiness. But we know this, it's part of the, as, as already talked about earlier, the Declaration of Independence. Here's part of that. Endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are, you guys know what they are? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Blaise Pascal, French mathematician, Christian uh, philosopher, 1600s, listen to what he said. All men seek happiness. Whatever means they employ, this is the motive of every action of every man, even those who hang themselves. So you came here today, and what's driving that is you want to be happy. People didn't show up today because they want to be happy. All that we do is based on our desire to be happy. We do and don't do certain things because we think it leads to happiness. 
Nobody sins out of duty. We sin because it offers a promise of happiness. People take certain paths in their life because they are seeking happiness. We are all seeking happiness. God has placed that within us. So there's nothing wrong with that. It's just where we seek out that happiness. And so the word blessed is total fulfillment and complete well-being. This is the life most people only dream about, that, he's, that, it, that it's ours. It's ours today, this morning, those who put their faith in Jesus. Blessed is the man. This is a joyful celebration of great happiness. In fact, I heard one commentator actually say this is part of that Numbers uh, 6, 24 through 26, the, the high priestly prayer. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. This is grace and peace. This is total fulfillment and complete well-being in every dimension of our lives. It's ours. In fact, this pursuit of pleasure and happiness is not only throughout the scripture, but it's also throughout the book of Psalms. I I gave you some verses that you can look up. Psalm 1611, it says, In his presence is fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures evermore. Psalm 34, 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 43, 4, this is a good one. I will go to God, my exceeding joy. And you'll notice that the end of all of those is is God. But you'll notice, so he says, blessed, total fulfillment, complete well-being, is the man. He says, is the man. I guess you women are out of luck. No, really. I'm I'm reading it literally. It says man. And so I don't know, I didn't, you guys know I'm joking, but it's mankind. It's person. Blessed is the person. But notice this. It doesn't say a rich person or a smart person or a gifted person or an attractive person. Just a person. Because those would be the things that our society says. Those are the values of our society. And maybe you're saying that to yourself. If I just had, if I just had this, if I accomplished that, if I achieved this, if I had more money, I know I would be happy. That's our society. That's where we live. The, the billions of dollars that are spent on advertisement are to convince us of that, that we are one purchase away from happiness, whatever that is. That's our society. And yet the Bible's saying, no, no, this is, this is ours right now. Com- total fulfillment, complete well-being in, in God, in, in Christ. Um, once again, C.S. Lewis The man who has everything with God has no more than he who has God only. You know, that statement, I've taken that with me because it's both very convicting and also captivating for me. It's convicting because I don't live there near enough. Let me read it again. The man who has everything with God, I, I would like that. I'd like to have everything. I mean, think of what would your everything be? If there's something, if there's something in your life that you're saying, until I get this or achieve that, I'm not going to be happy, then there's, there's some kind of idolatry in that. There certainly is. The man who has everything with God has no more than he who has God only. I told you not to bring your beer bottles in here. I always have to say that. I say that every time somebody drops a bottle. It's been a while, so I had to say that. That'll be, on, that'll be right here. It's recording it for this weekend. So I want to find out who was it that brought their beer bottle in here. Okay. So it's both convicting, but it's also captivating because I want to live there all the time. That there is a completeness, there's a contentment, there's a total fulfillment, complete well-being regardless of your circumstances, regardless of the people, regardless of the things around us. That's what he's talking about here. 
It's not predicated upon anything out there. So this is how I will we'll summarize this first statement, this idea of wanting to be happy is a universal human desire. The smartest, wealthiest, most talented and, and beautiful people on earth have nothing on those who are blessed by God. Here's another way we could say it. All the brains, bucks, brawn, and beauty in this world can add nothing to a life blessed by God. And, and if you think otherwise, if you doubt that, it's because you are being shaped by the values of this world more than the values of God's word. Because the values of God's word are really more about just knowing God, this blessed life. It would speak more of character and integrity, faithfulness and generosity. That those would be the values that God would reproduce in us regardless of our, not, not to say that brains and bucks and brawn and beauty aren't, you know, good. Those are good things. But the, the fact is, is in our society today, we've turned them into God things and they're idols. And we tend to put on the, you know, people that have these things on a pedestal and bow down at the altar before them. And, and it's wrong. So wanting to be happy is a universal human desire. Here's number two. We should seek to intensify and feed this longing with whatever will provide the deepest and the most durable happiness. And so now we get into all of us are seeking happiness in, in one of two different ways, two different avenues because if I, if I doubt that, if I doubt that I'm blessed and understand the implications and trying to enter into that as much as I can, fighting for my delight in God, it's because I'm being more shaped by this world than God's word. So let's take a look at these two different ways. In fact, it's laid out for us in this text. Verses 1 and 2 gives it to us very quickly does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of scoffers or the scornful. So this psalm is a contrast between wicked and the righteous. I gave you some verses there so you can look this up to understand uh, wickedness, but I'm going to, Psalm 10.4 talks about wicked, what that means. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him, does not seek God. So he's saying that to be wicked is not to seek God, and in fact, all his thoughts are there is no God. Now, you can actually have a said faith, oh yeah, I believe in God, and yet live your life as if there is no God, and and the Bible would say, that's wicked. Um, Okay, if that's troubling, let me take you to a couple more verses that will make it even more troubling for you, okay? Uh, Jeremiah 2.13, it says, for my people have committed two evils. So he's saying, this is evil. You want to hear what it is? What what would you think he's talking about here? Here's what he's talking about. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. So God is referring to himself as the fountain of living waters. They have forsaken me, and they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So we can define this ungodly or wicked or evil is that the roots of your soul are not in God as your life source. So the essence of evil is finding your happiness in anything else more than God. Feel convicted? I do. Because that's the inclination of our heart, our sinful heart, and that's our society, and we have an adversary that's coming at us 24-7 to try to get us out of that. And so, so the righteous, we see the righteous in verses five and six. He talks about that. So here's, here's a couple thoughts. It's on your notes. No fill in the blanks here, but you can follow along. I'm either being conformed to the values of this world or being transformed by the values of God's word. Romans 12, two, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of, 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 our, of your mind. So here's the deal. I mean, think about this. Do you guys, would you guys agree with me? I mean, when, when they do all the stats out there, would you say that in a general sense, the church of America, that is Christians in America, are we becoming uh, more conformed to this world or being more transformed by the renewing of our minds? Which one would you say we are? Which direction are we going as a general rule? As you look on the landscape of, of good old God bless America, what would it be? Are we more like the world or more like God's word? How many would say more like the world? That's pretty much almost all of us, yeah. Yeah. We have taken on more and more the values. We are being shaped and influenced by the world. That's why we're losing our ability to have any kind of an impact. I mean, even when I said this, that Christians are the happiest people in the world, I bet most of you thought, really? 
I know a few Christians, they're not too happy. I mean, that's the first thing that comes to mind. It's like, are you kidding? I know people that aren't Christians and they're happier than Christians I know. And that's the first thing that comes down. So why is that? What? That's crazy. That doesn't make any sense to me. When you read Psalm 1, it doesn't make any sense. That's not consistent with the reality of who God is and what he has for us. So all, all I can understand is that our lives are becoming more and more shaped by this world as opposed to God's word. That's what's happening. Here's the next one. Everyone has the roots of their soul in something as their life source. So that's, that would be the question for you to ask. Where are the roots of my soul? In other words, we can use those two words, meditates and delights, because that's what he says. He delights in God's word and he meditates. So those are kind of synonymous. Great delight. I find great happiness in interaction with God. In fact, I walk with him throughout the day. I take his word with me. I interact with him at this deep level. And as a result of that, it's shaping my soul. It's transforming me. I've never been more total fulfillment, complete well-being. I've never experienced more of that since I've been doing that. I'm less like the world and more like God's word in this. The true God of your heart is where your thoughts effortlessly go to when nothing else is demanding your attention. You could be sitting in here and your thoughts could be going elsewhere. And that tells you a lot about where your heart is. You know, when you're laying in bed at night, when you're waiting, you know, for a phone call, when you're waiting in a, in, in a doctor's office or whatever, where do your thoughts go? If I don't meditate on God's word until my heart is hot with assurance, then I will seek love and acceptance from worldly achievement, status, and relationships. Whatever you find the most pleasure in is your God. Where do you find your most pleasure? That's your God. Here's the cool thing about the Christian life. God wants you to find your deepest pleasure in him. That's the Christian life. That's what he's talking about here in the blessed life. And that's available to us because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Now, we need to spend some time talking about... uh, no, let me give you the next point. That's, I think it's on your notes there. But, and then we'll talk a little bit about this path to a deeper experience of the presence of God. A blessed or righteous, based on verses 5 and 6, that's what he's talking about here. A blessed person loves to commune with God day and night by rehearsing, relishing, and rejoicing in God's word until it becomes real, permanently affecting his attitude and actions. Joshua 1.8, which is an interesting verse. It's one of the cross-references there. Do you know where they're headed, the nation of Israel? They're headed into the promised land. And this is what God says to Joshua. He says, give this instruction to the people. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night, and then you'll be able to do everything that is written in it, and you're going to be prosperous and successful. Wait, wait, you're going into the promised land. That's prosperous and successful. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. Whether you wander in the wilderness or go into the promised land, success and fulfillment is found in your interaction with me, your knowing me, regardless of, regardless of your circumstances. That's, that's what he's getting at. And then I gave you a number of other verses there, Psalm 119, talking about God's word and talking about meditation. So let's talk about meditation just for a moment here. We'll be able to finish up the rest pretty quickly, but... I, I, I think this is a, a discipline that we're not, we're not really good at. It's a path to deeper experience of the presence of God. When was the last time you had an experience with God that was so rich, so real, that his presence and his power and peace so overwhelmed you? I mean, you, you were speechless. Or you were filled with such joy and maybe tears came to your eyes. And, and that anxiety or that anger or even that sadness, that depression just was expelled. It was gone because his presence was so real. And you it began to put things in perspective. You're just like, oh, yes, this is what I need. This is what my heart longs for. When was the last time that you had that, that kind of experience based, you know, it's that hard experience based on the objective truth of God's word as you, as you encounter him, as you pray to him, as you talk to him, as you study his word. Now, something that's helped me out uh, tremendously, and 
I'm glad that I learned it a number of years ago, and this is the path to really a deeper experience of the presence of God, is that oftentimes we do our Bible study and we pray. You know, we check it off the list. But there's something much deeper than just, just kind of going through the motions of your Bible study and prayer. And it's meditation. Because Psalm 1 is a meditation about meditation. He's actually taking us through and showing us. In fact, he's saying, if you'll pray the rest of the Psalms, this is the doorway into Psalms. If you'll begin to pray the Psalms like I'm teaching you here in Psalm 1, you're going to have an encounter with God. And God will meet you right where you are. And he will satisfy your soul. And he will bring such amazing life liberation to you unlike you've ever experienced before. That's the idea here. That's the blessed life. And uh, so there's this meditation. Meditation is really a, a kind of answering, answering prayer. Uh, Psalm 39.3 says, My heart became hot within me as I meditated. So it's telling us a little bit that when we meditate, we reflect, we think, we, we relish God's word. There's something that begins to burn in our hearts and I'm going to talk to you about even a deeper level next weekend because we're going to talk, go through Psalm 27, which is a, really a beholding or a gazing upon the beauty of God. And, but there's a deeper level than just Bible study and prayer, and it's, it's meditation. And, and there's nothing wrong with, with calling prayer. Calling prayer is, God, God, I, I need help. Are you there? Help me. And, and, and the problem, though, is that there's a much deeper prayer than just calling prayer. Meditation is, a, is an answering type prayer. Let me kind of walk you through this process. So, so oftentimes, a lot of times when we pray, we talk at God. It's, it's almost kind of rote prayers or things that we've memorized. We just kind of go through it. And then there's that next level where we talk to God, where it really starts coming more from our heart. And then there's a deeper level. You go from, you go from talking at God to talking to God to hearing God. He speaks to you. I've never heard the audible voice of God, but I've heard the inner audible voice, and I've heard it through, as I've studied God's word, and through songs, and through meditation. Oh my goodness, loud and clear. And he begins to speak to you, and you know in your heart it's him, because it's consistent with his word. And he begins to, his perfect love chases away the fears. You know it's him. You know you can face anything as a result, as a result of that. And then the next one, so you got you talk at God, talk to God, listen to God, but then just being with God, being with God. And that's next week as we talk a little bit more about that, of just gazing upon the beauty of God. I'm going to talk about how do you deal with that anxiety because he's, he, goes, he runs the full gamut of anxiety. And how do I get through this? How do I deal with this? It's gazing upon the beauty of God. He says, if I have this one thing, 27.4, if I have this one thing, meditation will lead you to that. Let me continue to talk to you about meditation here. So Psalm 1 is an answering prayer. So you've got calling prayer, but you've got answering prayer. This kind of prayer grows us the fastest because it is prayer in response to what God is saying to us. It's prayer that lets him start the conversation and pick the subject. For instance, I'm studying God's word. I take a, some verses, as I did this last week. I take the text, I say, where it says, blessed is the man, blessed is the man that does not walk on the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the way of sin. I, be, I begin to mull that over in my brain and my mind. I say, what is this? Blessed, what does that mean? I dive into the scripture a little bit more. Before long, God begins to speak to me. Yes, yes, that's the life most people long to have. They, they only dream about, but that's life for you. I've made that, I've made that, available to you and so as you do that it begins so so when he reveals to me something of his attributes and he reveals to me that he's a personal god i respond to him with adoration when he says something convicting i respond to him with confession and repentance when he shows me how much he has done or is doing or will do for me i respond with thanksgiving and then I, I end my prayer with supplication. And so at the end of the notes, I'm jumping ahead here, but at the end of the notes, I've given you uh, this acronym that is very helpful. It's A-C-T-S. After understanding the theme of the psalm, I'll go through this. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. How does this help me to adore God? How does this, what is he saying to me that's bringing conviction to my heart how I need to change. Do you see the difference between calling prayer and, and responding prayer? God is meeting me right where I am, speaking to my heart, and then I'm responding to him based on what he's saying to me. 
Meditation is reflecting on the text until you sense God saying something to you and then you respond to him. I mean, and you have this throughout uh, Psalms. There's a couple other Psalms here. Psalm 42. In fact, uh, Scott's going to teach on this in a few weeks, but this one, he says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Have you ever said that to yourself before? He's trying to work that down deep. Why are you so downcast? Why are you so freaking out? Why are you so anxious? Why are you so bummed out about life? Psalm 103, he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, soul. Come on, soul. Who's the psalmist talking to? He's talking to himself. How should I be living if I'm, if I'm that loved? See, that's, that's meditating. Wow, if Jesus died on the cross for me, oh my goodness, he is for me and not against me. How should I be li- living? How would I respond to the current circumstances of my life if I really believe that? Obviously, I'm not, I, I, I say I believe it, but I don't believe it deep into my heart. Oh God, make that go deep into my heart so it becomes a greater reality as I face the obstacles of my life. How should I behave if I'm that forgiven? Man, if you understood how much you were forgiven, you'd get rid of that bitterness. I mean, you, you wouldn't have hostility toward others. Do you have any idea how much he's forgiven you? And that's, that's what you're doing, meditation. You're working that down into your heart. And then how should I be if I have that much security in him? See, you're listening, reflecting, thinking out the implications of a text. Meditation is a way to make the Bible into a burning bush where God is speaking to you directly. I believe it's what it means to seek God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart, Jeremiah 29, 13. One person put it this way, it is the descent of the mind with truth into the heart until our whole being yearns for God. Let me give you a quick story and then we'll, we'll knock out the rest of this. My sister Aloha is sitting back here, my younger sister, um, she's a sweetheart and I love her very much and uh, a number of years ago she went in for surgery, it's kind of a major surgery, it didn't go too well. She called us up on the phone. I think I was talking to her husband and said, hey, it's not going very well. She's going to probably have to go back in for another surgery. I go, what? Ah. Oh. So we got in. We walked into the room. And she, you could see it on her face. She was pretty dis- distraught. She was overwhelmed. Why are you so downcast on my soul? It's kind of like, ah. Oh. She was dreading it. She was in extreme pain. You could see the pain on her face. I walked in. And uh, all I did was just, I said, hey, listen, listen, sis, I love you, and uh, you have a God, you have a God who's bigger than this. He's so much bigger than all of this. And and in fact, in the the verse that came to mind, and we're going to probably study this in this series, is... uh, is the 16th chapter of Psalm, and it says, 16, 8, it says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. And I just begin to go through that psalm with her. I said, the Lord is always, I have set the Lord always before me. I said, hey, listen to me. Set the Lord before you. He is here. He won't abandon you. Nothing can separate you from his love. I just began to talk to her about that. What was she doing? She was just meditating. I was helping her to meditate on God's word. I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. That's, that's my strength. He's going to be my strength for me. Yes, he is. He will be. I will not be shaken. Yes, you will not be shaken. Do you have any idea who's in this room with you right now? God, and he's backed it up with his word and his blood on the cross. Before we were finished, as they were willing her out for her second surgery, she was upbeat, she was laughing, she was even joking. You could see that her spirit had elevated tremendously and it was just based on God's word. She had an encounter with God through his word. You guys have heard this story before. Uh, when we, we, before we moved into the current building that we're in right now and we're purchasing it and building it out and we're excited about that, uh, we thought we would put our money instead of into lease property, we'd put it into a home. We bought the home next to where, where Nancy and I live, and that was really a bad thing to do. You know, it was just really bad for a number of reasons, but this is one of those things where God takes bad and works it for our good. But the, what made it so bad is that the neighbor on the other side despised us. And um, I wanted to kick his butt just to be honest with you. It's like, how dare you, you little whatever. Beep, beep, no. I didn't use any too, too 
profane. It was things like jerk and you know, things like that. But it was still basically the same attitude behind that. I was just really ticked off royally. And, uh, and the Lord really convicted me, and it was through meditation and reflection, spending time with God. God met me in my office, in my home. And before I was finished, I had a love for this guy unlike I'd ever experienced before. Because, you know, the whole idea, you've got to love your enemies. Oh, yeah, right. I want to kill this guy. And, uh, but that began to, God began to take those, the text of Scripture and he began to show me his love for me and began to work that deep into my heart. And I'll tell you what, I began to relate to this guy completely different. And before long, it was through the board of elders and all that, we decided, hey, you know, this isn't a good thing. The neighbors don't like us here, so let's get out of here. And of course, we sold the house and made $100,000 on it, and, uh, which is pretty phenomenal that added to the pile so that now we're, you know, as we've... Uh, uh, had the different campaigns that we've had. Now we're going to be able to have our own building. But it's, it's phenomenal how God can take those things when we look to him and trust in him. And there's so many other examples. Uh, I really believe that oftentimes, listen to me, sometimes we are too anxious, too angry, and too depressed. You don't need to live like that. There's a blessed life. There, there is. He gave his life for us. There is a fullness of life in Jesus. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Yes, there's all kinds of suffering and difficulties that we must go through. But Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. Here's the next point on your notes. Okay. Getting a little carried away. I'm almost almost finished up here. Here we go. The deepest and most durable happiness is only found in God, not from God. And so here's kind of a comparison chart here, is that if, you, if the roots of your life are going deep into God, you're going to have significance as opposed to insignificance. Do you see that on your notes? So the significance tree, you're going to be like a tree versus insignificant like chaff. You're going to have stability, tree planted, versus instability, chaff, the wind blows away. You're going to have satisfaction. Listen to me, there's no greater satisfaction than knowing God, knowing that your name... And you have a name and a place in heaven and he gives us his Holy Spirit while we are waiting to go there to be with him for all eternity. But there's dissatisfaction. They will not stand. They don't have a place among the righteous. And then stamina, it means fruit. Fruit in season does not wither. Prosperous versus weakness will perish. So trying to find your happiness in circumstances will make you like chaff the wind drives away. So are you, act, are you a little bit like, more like chaff? Or, or do you have more of this significance and stability and, and satisfaction and stamina in spite of what's going on around you? Meditation on God's word puts you in contact with streams of water when all other water sources run dry. It puts you in contact really with even... I mean, with streams of water when times of extreme heat and drought come into our lives. The way you know you have a circumstantial happiness rather than a deeper kind of happiness in Christ is by how you face circumstances. Do you get angry at God in the midst of your circumstances? Do you get angry at yourself because you kind of believe that good people deserve a good life? Hey, I lived a good life. I should get a good life. Wait, wait, wait. We live in a fallen world. But you can have a blessed life in spite of what goes down in your life because you have him. Here's the next last point. The happiness we find in God is growing and reaching its maturity when Christ is more satisfying than all that life can give or death can take. So we've got to talk about righteous. What does it mean to be righteous? Because in verse 5, he says, only the righteous will survive the judgment. In verse 6, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. So who are the righteous? I gave you a whole bunch of verses there. You can study on your own. It'll take you through the Old Testament and then into the New Testament. Here's the righteous. The righteous are those who have put their faith in Jesus. Because it tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's crazy. All of my sinfulness was placed on him and I receive all of his righteousness. Oh my goodness. That alone, that alone is enough to, to, I mean, if you understood that, that's the blessed life, that I have a right standing with God and there's nothing I can do to foul that up. 
He loves me with an everlasting love. In fact, here's an interesting quote, and what we'll end on here is that how does the Father love the Son? How much does the Father love his Son, Jesus? Would you guys say a lot? I mean, he said, you're my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That's how much he loves you if you're in Jesus. How much does the Father enjoy the Son? Would you say a lot? Yeah, that's how much he enjoys you. Man, I'll tell you what, if you understood that, begin to live in the reality of that, meditated on those phrases for a few days, it would revolutionize your life. Bow your heads with me. Let's do that. Let's just meditate just for a moment, and then I'll get you out of here. And I want us to kind of go through this. And so I gave you, gave you an acronym there to kind of look at to see how does this lead me to adore and praise God? How does this text that we just looked at, I mean, there's a lot of things that could come to mind. How do you want to adore him this morning and praise him because of this text? Well, it tells us, this text tells us that he's personal, he's relational, and he invites us into a relationship with him. And like I said, it's, it's an amazing life, this blessed life. How does this lead me to confess and repent? Well, the fact is, is that oftentimes my appetite for the things of this world are greater than the things of God. And I confess that, God, this morning. And God, help me to identify those things that would stimulate my appetite for you and those things that would suppress my appetite for you and eliminate those appetite suppressants. How can I thank Jesus for being the ultimate answer to this sin? That's this thanksgiving. So you got adoration, confession, and thanksgiving. God, knowing you is more desirable than anything in this world. Knowing you are like streams of water. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you know the ways of the righteous. You're intimately involved in our lives. I thank you for that. God, and then the next last question is, what does this lead to petition God for? And my petition this morning, God, is that too often we are too anxious and too angry and too depressed. So God, may you become more and more the delight of our lives. May we be more aware of the meditation of our heart, God, because all of us are meditating. It's what we're meditating on. And may we make your word in interaction with you the meditation of our heart. And so we close by saying, God, may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? Let me give you a quick blessing here. And you guys are out of here. So, so as we've walked through this, next week we're going to study 27. I would encourage you to start reading through that. Read that every day. Begin to take sections of that. Begin to meditate on it. Think about it. Ask God, God, what do you want to speak to me? Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Work through that. And so, blessed is the man, the person that does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or stand in the way of the sinner or sit in the seat of the scornful. Don't let your life be more and more shaped like the world. But may our lives be more and more conformed in the image of Jesus Christ as we delight in his word and meditate and interact and enjoy his presence in our life. We will be like a tree planted by streams of water and we will bear fruit in season. Our leaf will not wither and whatever we, would, we do will prosper in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. amen. God bless you.